Well, hello, it's Jason. I'm one of the pastors at The Way Church, and I want to welcome you to today's sermon. We're in the middle of Advent as a church. We're both looking backwards at the narrative of Jesus coming, and we're looking forward to his second coming. And I want to just take this moment before we jump into the message to invite you to join us for Christmas Eve. We're going to be doing four gatherings, two in North Vancouver in the morning, 9 and 11, and two in Strathcona at 9 and 11.15. And it'd be a joy for us and the team to welcome you there. I hope you have the most Merry Christmas. I'll take this moment to also wish you a Happy New Year and enjoy today's message. Good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you. Well, we've said it a few times, but I'm going to say it again. Today is the first Sunday of Advent, and I did not grow up in a church that, uh, or in a church tradition that observed Advent, and so for a very long time, I thought that Christmas and Advent were kind of basically the same thing, that they were words that were synonymous. You could just kind of use them interchangeably depending on the day or on your mood. I think maybe I would use Advent if I was feeling like extra spiritual, you know, like, because we all love it when people try to be extra spiritual. Um, But it wasn't until I was an adult that I learned um, how different they actually are. And it wasn't until I was an adult that I learned about what I think is the stunning beauty and hope that's attached to Advent. So if you're here and you're new to church, or maybe like me, uh, Advent is not something that you grew up um, observing or are super familiar with, I want you to know that you are in good company today, and we are very glad that you're here. So Daryl mentioned it at the beginning of uh, our service today, but Advent is a word that comes from the Latin Adventus, which means coming or arrival. So then at its most basic level then, Advent is a time to prepare for and look forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. But here's what's maybe a curious thing, something that maybe you just thought of. Whether we are uh, religious or not, many of us believe that Jesus has already come. Like as a matter of history, we believe that Jesus was already born. So then if Jesus has already come, what Advent or arrival are we still waiting for? What are we still waiting for? Well, the answer is this. As followers of Jesus Christ, we not only believe that Jesus has come, we also believe that he is coming again. He's coming again. Anglican priest and author Tish Warren describes Advent as a season that is ancient yet urgent ancient yet urgent, and I think that that gets at the heart of it so well, because Advent is a time of, yes, looking backward in gratitude at the reality that Jesus did come, that he was born in a manger, and we know the story of Mary and Joseph, and we look backwards in gratitude, but Advent is also a time where we look forward in anticipation that he is going to come again. And so this year at The Way, we are going to spend our next four weeks of our Advent series in the last two chapters of the Bible, Revelation chapters 21 and 22. Uh, I was telling my oldest son this week uh, that we're doing this, that we're doing our Advent series in Revelation, and he was like, why in the world? Why? Why? Revelation at Christmas? And maybe some of you feel that too, if you're familiar with the, the book of Revelation. Maybe it feels a little jarring. Why would we sit there? Uh, but let me tell you that 
the reason that we are sitting in these two particular chapters is because we believe that they help to paint a beautiful picture of what it is that we're waiting for. We believe that these chapters are meant to give us uh, really a beautiful picture, a hope-filled picture of where history is headed, of a future that we all deep inside long for. Because here's the thing, I think no matter where you're coming from today, no matter what your faith background might be, we could pro probably all agree that when we look out at the world, it's just not that hard to see the darkness. It's not that hard to see the brokenness or, or the pain or the suffering or the chaos or the injustice. And we don't even necessarily have to like look out at the world. For many of us, we could just look inside at our own lives and we can see it, feel it, the feel the pain. Just this week, I have been in meeting after meeting, phone call after phone call, Zoom call after Zoom call. Yes, Zoom calls are still a thing, <laughs> very much a thing. And I've been confronted in these meetings with the reality of the darkness that is very much at war for our lives. I have just been faced with it, that is at war for our lives, at war for, for our families, for our marriages, and for our minds, like at war for our minds, for our peace. And something inside of me, I've just felt it so acutely this week especially, and it's been wild to prepare for this message, but something inside of me all week long has just felt like I'm just longing for things to be made right. I don't know if that lands with you, but something deep inside. And I, and I wonder if, if many of us feel this way when we're confronted with the pain in the world. Just this feeling of like, it's not supposed to be this way. And so we long for things to be made right. And so why sit in Revelation for this Advent series? Because I dare say that we need it. I need it. We need to be reminded again that hope is on the horizon, that Jesus Christ is coming again, and one day he will be the one to set all things right. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. We'll have it up on the screen, and we'll read it together. It's Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 5. It says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Let's pray before we get into this today. Living God, we thank you for your presence here among us. And we come to you as your people. And I just ask, Lord, that you would today arrest our hearts with fresh hope as we look forward. We are so grateful 
that Jesus came in his first advent as a baby. We are grateful for his life, his death, and his resurrection. And today, as we look forward, I pray that you would open our minds and hearts and imaginations to lean into this hope that you have given us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, here's the roadmap for our time together today. I want to suggest to you that these verses that we've just read paint a beautiful, hope-filled picture of at least three things that we're waiting for that are going to happen when Jesus comes again, okay? Three things. What are we waiting for? Here they are, for God to dwell among us. That's the first thing. Second thing we're waiting for is for God to wipe away our tears. And third, we are waiting for God to make all things new. Okay, first, what are we waiting for? We are waiting for God to dwell among us. If you look back at verse three, it says this. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. So uh, John, he is one of Jesus's 12 disciples. He's the author of Revelation. And he's being given a vision here in this book and he's describing what it is that he's seeing and hearing. And in this vision and in uh Revelation 21, he hears a voice declaring that one day God's dwelling place is going to be among his people. To say it more plainly, that one day the living God is going to dwell among us, with us. And this theme of God with us is actually, um, it's like a beautiful thread that's woven throughout the entire story of scripture. Because in the very beginning, in the earliest pages of the Bible, in, in the book of Genesis, we see that God is with humans in the garden and that he is among his people. And then if we continue the story on, we see that um, Israel is rescued from slavery in Egypt and they're wandering in the desert. And then God dwells with his people in the tabernacle and his presence goes with them. And then if you keep on reading the story, eventually we read that King Solomon builds a temple. And this temple then becomes a permanent meeting place between God and his people. And God dwells in the temple. And then if we keep on reading, and the thread continues on into the New Testament, because centuries later we read that Jesus shows up, which was the first advent, his first arrival. And Jesus is Emmanuel. His name means God with us. In John chapter 1, this is what we're told about Jesus. John 1:14, uh, it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word, that's Jesus. Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among his people. And then we read on that Jesus then lived a life without sin, and then he goes on to die for our sins, and then he rises from the dead on the third day, and then he sends the Holy Spirit to dwell in his people. You can read about that in the book of Acts. He sends the Spirit to dwell among his people, and that's where we're at in the story right now. That's kind of where we're sitting in the story. And while we believe that the Spirit of God is alive and active today and that he is here among us even now, dwelling in his people, the future hope that Revelation chapter 21 shows us is that one day he will actually come down and dwell among us, unhindered and without any barriers. 
And I don't pretend to understand the mystery of all this. I was talking to Daryl about it the other night. Help me understand the mystery of all of this. But here's what I do know, that it gets me very excited to think about this, that there is a day when we will no longer have to imagine his face because we'll see his face. We will no longer have to imagine what his voice sounds like because we will know what his voice sounds like. We'll know the pitch and the cadence of the way he talks. Oh man, I wanna know what his laugh sounds like. That's like one of those things for me. I just wanna know, what does your laugh sound like? What, what kind of sense of humor do you have? I hope, well, I'm not, I was gonna say I hope he's sarcastic. I don't know if that's appropriate. It's not in my notes. Strike it. <laughs> I just want to know what kind of sense of humor. What does his laugh sound like? I know that one day we will be fully in his presence and that he will in every way possible, every way imaginable, even the ways that we can't imagine, in every way he will be God with us. And when he comes down to dwell among us, verse 3 tells us that we, we, will be his people. And in the original Greek, that word um, is translated people is actually plural, so it can refer to peoples. So the translation there would be, they will be God's peoples. And that is just a striking image to me. Like the unique beauties and gifts of all of the various people groups across the world all gathered up as one into God's presence. And that is so beautiful. Every tribe, tongue, and nation will become his peoples, and he will live among us. It's beautiful, and this is what we're waiting for. This is our future hope, that we will not only actually be reconciled to God, but also to one another. And until then, we wait in anticipation for this day. We look and long for at all times, but this is part of what the Advent season is about, is really reflecting on this. We look and long for the day when God will come and dwell among us. What else are we waiting for, according to this text? Well, we are waiting for God to wipe away our tears. Uh, look back at verse four with me, if you will. It says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. I think we could probably um, come to some sort of an agreement that although we may not always feel it or see it, that the world is filled with a ton of beauty. It is, and sometimes it feels like our hearts just can't hold it all. Think about things like um, maybe the first snowfall of the year like beautiful. Okay, listen, some of you are like, I don't like snow. I don't do snow. I don't like it. Um, but I'm from Texas. And so for me, it still feels very magical. And I love it. I, I even love it after last year. I don't know how many of you I got stuck in the nine hour, you know, snowmageddon car thing. That was me. But even after that, I still love snow. It's still beautiful. I think of things like um, the leaves in the fall the changing of the colors of the leaves, or the cherry blossoms blooming in the spring, the sun on your face after a long winter, <laughs> laughter with friends and family, good food, a really good cup of coffee, meaningful work, beautiful music, 
a marriage with a lifetime of memories, holding a grandbaby for a first time, a baby's laugh. Last night, I was um, scratching my daughter's back, and she was falling asleep on, on my lap in my bed. She just kind of cuddled up next to me, so I was scratching her back, and she's falling asleep. And at the very same time that my heart is just exploding with gratefulness, I hear my husband and our three teenage boys in the other, in the other room just rolling hysterically with laughter. Like, they're just, I don't know, I don't know what it was about, but in that moment, I just sat there. My heart was so full so much joy, I could hardly contain it. And that's what it feels like sometimes. Sometimes there is just too much beauty, too much goodness for us to just take in. But the world is also filled with so much pain and evil and suffering and chaos. And it's too much pain to take in. And we can't hold it all. And none of us are left untouched by pain. And so when I read here in Revelation chapter 21 that one day there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, and no more pain, it makes my heart throb with longing. For those of us that have suffered, I mean, if you have suffered at all, can you even dare to imagine it? That one day, friends, there will be no more cancer, no more broken relationships, no more poverty, no more homelessness, no more corrupt governments, no more chronic pain, no more racism, no more human trafficking, no more addiction, no more anxiety, no more suicide, no more depression, no more broken minds or hearts, no more war, no death, no mourning, no crying, no pain. This is what the Revelation 21 casts a vision of, no more, no more. And this, it gets me excited and it fills me with so much hope. Hope to be able to keep on living here in the meantime. Because it shows, that the, shows us that though there are times when life feels dark and the world or even our own lives can feel broken beyond repair, seared with pain beyond, beyond repair, and when it feels as though the enemy is going to get the last word in this world and even in our lives, these verses show us that actually it is our God, the living God, who gets the last word. Jesus Christ, the one who has already come once and defeated death, he is coming again and he is the one who is going to have the last word. Praise your name, Jesus. And until that day, we live in the meantime. And we pray and remember things like Psalm 56, which declares this of God. You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. We do wait in anticipation for the day when he will wipe away every one of our tears. But until that day, friends, we take heart even in the midst of our lament, knowing that he has not ever, not once, missed a detail of our lives, that he somehow keeps track of our individual sorrows, that he collects our tears. What a beautiful picture that is. He collects our tears, records them all, has not missed one. And we wait for the day when he will come and make it all right.
Here's the third thing we're waiting for, according to Revelation chapter 21. We're waiting for God to make all things new. Look at verse 5 with me. It says this. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Notice that God doesn't say that I'm making all new things. He says, I am making all things new. And that word new that's being used here is uh, the Greek word kainos. And it's a word that indicates uh, a newness in quality, a newness in quality. In other words, it doesn't mean something brand new. So when he says here that he is making all things new, this is not suggesting the destruction of the old and then, for, and then forming something brand new, but it, rather it's suggesting the transformation of the old into something new. In other words, God is going to renew his sin-stained creation. If you have ever um, refurbished a piece of furniture, you might understand this idea. Um, to be clear, I have never done this. So um, my husband has, and I think what he did is, is he, he's, he's done this multiple times actually, sands off like the old finish, the old paint, sands off the old finish, and then he'll keep on sanding down like any rough spots or blemishes, and then he'll repair the damage, and then he puts on a new finish. I ran it by him last night at about 10 o'clock. He was half asleep, and he just gave me a... So we'll go with it, but that's how that works. But here's the point. This is a similar idea in this passage, that this is speaking to a divine restoration of all things. It's not out with the old, in with the new. It's a restoration of the old things. Look back at verse one with me. Uh, it says this, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. Well, it's interesting uh, that the Bible begins and, and ends in a similar way. Genesis 1.1 uh, is the very first line in the Bible and it says this, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And if you keep on reading that story, you know that this first heaven and earth gets spoiled by sin in Genesis chapter 3. And when humanity sinned, the earth was affected and is still being affected by sin. But the promise of, Re of Revelation 21 is that beautifully, God is going to come and renew all things. Again, not doing out with the old. It's just renewing those things. And this is... Um, a parenthesis, as Chris likes to say. But this renewal of all things envisions the healing of the whole of creation. Uh, we see hints of this already in the world. People and, and organizations who've already embraced this vision for, for social and ecological justice. Uh, uh, organizations like Arosha and Surrey. P these are groups and organizations who don't just throw up their hands and say, well, one day, Maybe it'll be better, but in the meantime, let's just do whatever we want to the earth. These are the ones who have embraced the eternal vision now in our current reality. The ones who don't just pray, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done one day, but rather even as they wait for the one day to arrive, they do their part, their small part in trying to usher in God's kingdom in often unseen ways, just tending to the good earth. Okay. In parentheses. Did you notice in verse one, it also said this, it said that there's gonna be no sea. Uh, verse one again, it says, the heaven and earth, the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there was no longer any sea. 
Now, some of you may have noticed that it goes on in verse 2, and it talks about a holy city and a bride. Um, we are saving that for next week, so just hang tight. We'll talk about that then. But in verse 1, when it says that there will no longer be any sea, uh, this is not to, meant to be taken as like a, a literal geography lesson. This is just symbolism. It's symbolism, and it's meant to convey a very literal truth. Um, in the ancient world, the sea was viewed by many people as a place of chaos and a place of evil. And that view continues on here in the book of Revelation. And the sea symbolizes the origin of cosmic evil, chaos, and idolatry. So then for the new heaven and the new earth to then not have any sea, this is symbolic of the fact that in the new heavens and the new earth, there's just not going to be any evil or chaos. Can you imagine that? Like, imagine a world with no chaos, no corruption, no evil. It's a stunning thought to consider. The hope envisioned here is divine restoration. And, and listen, what, what God says he's going to do with all of creation, he's actually already started in us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Here in this life, when we join with Christ through faith, when we are in Christ, God does not do away with us. He doesn't just scrap us and start all over again. He takes who we already are and he works with it and he makes it into a new creation. How does he do this? Well, he does it by dealing with our sin nature and then renewing us by the power of his spirit. And he remakes us into the people he originally intended us to be. And then our current self is not our forever self because God is making us new. And our current life doesn't have to be our forever life. It can be our former life in Christ. There are new beginnings in Jesus. Until then, we wait in anticipation for this day. We look and we long for the day when God will come and dwell among us, when he will wipe away all of our tears, and when he will make all things new. James, I'm gonna invite you to come up to the keys. As we begin to close, there are a couple of questions that could potentially come to our minds. Here's the first question. How do we know? How do we know that this is going to happen? It's a good question. And here's the answer, only one answer. It's because Jesus said so. It's all we have to go on is the word of Jesus Christ that the one who came to us as one of us in a manger in Bethlehem, the one who lived a fully human life, the one who performed miracles and embraced the marginalized and taught about the kingdom, the one who was crucified on a Roman cross, the one who three days later was raised from the dead, the one who is alive and even right now is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is the one who promised to come again and bring with him a whole new world. And as Revelation 21.5 tells us, his, he said, write it down. My words are trustworthy and true. We throw our weight on him. How do we know? Because he said he would.
and we can trust him. Second question, how do we wait? How do we wait? I want to suggest to you that we wait by living in, a, in the present, in our current reality, in a way that anticipates God's future. It is true that the world will not be healed until Jesus comes again and brings renewal with him. But as followers of Jesus, we are to live in the present in such a way that we are anticipating God's great renewal of all things. C.S. Lewis wrote this, he said, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present, for the present world, were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves, who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. If the new heavens and the new earth is a place without injustice or poverty or disease, then we, as followers of Jesus, should seek to eradicate those things now. If there are no tears in heaven, we should wipe away tears now. If there's no mourning in heaven, we should provide comfort where we can now. If there's no sickness in heaven, we should pursue and provide health now. If there's no loneliness in heaven, we should do our best to create community here now. If there's no racism in heaven, we should repent of racism now. And if every person knows and loves Jesus in heaven, we should invite people to know and love Jesus here and now. And because this is the vision that Revelation 21 gives us of, of where history is headed, this is where it's headed. We wait in anticipation. This is how we wait. We wait almost with bated breath, with deep hope, knowing that Jesus Christ is coming again. What are we waiting for? He. He is what we're waiting for. He is who we're waiting for. Well, thanks for listening to the message today. I hope it was meaningful for you and strengthening in your walk with God. That is our passion, to help people take steps in their walk with Jesus. And if you live in the Vancouver area and you wanna know more about what it would look like to connect more deeply in the life of our community here, one of the best places to go to find out more would be thewaychurch.ca. And once you're there, there's easy ways to find out about different gathering points in our community. And you can even fill out a connect card and connect with one of our pastors. Have an amazing day. Lots of love. See you later.